Hey, welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Editor and director and Blumhouse regular Gregory Plotkin has had a very interesting film career. He started out as an editor on Paranormal Activity 2, and then he went on to edit most of the films in the Paranormal Activity franchise, even directing The Ghost Dimension. He most recently edited Happy Death Day and Get Out, both under Blumhouse. His most recent movie is Hellfest, a haunted attraction slasher extravaganza that takes place in this kind of Disneyland-level haunted attraction amusement park. It's a lot of fun, and it stars the Candyman himself, Tony Todd. I actually got to see Hellfest in 4DX. For anybody who doesn't know what 4DX is, it's pretty much an attempt to make theater-going experiences more multi-sensory. So they rig the seats with hydraulics, and whenever there's movement on the screen, your chairs move around, and they rock, and they shake, and it's a lot of fun for the first 15 minutes, and then it gets incredibly tiresome. Also, if it's raining on the screen, they squirt water at you. If somebody's drinking coffee, you can they pipe in a coffee smell. It's got a smell-o-vision thing going, but... Seeing a slasher in 4DX. Now, that's a whole different ballgame because, and I didn't even think about this, whenever there was a kill on screen, they would squirt water at you to simulate blood. So whenever there's a character swinging an axe on the screen, the blood squirts at you and you feel it. It's obviously water, but you can just feel that kind of sensory experience of getting hit with blood. And the fun of just hearing the entire theater reacting to this was a blast and for me i i get very very nostalgic and passionate about shared horror theatrical experiences it's just one of the things that we go to the movies for and i think as far as all the genres are concerned there's no funner genre to see in the theater than horror with a with an entire audience hands down so this reminded me of that and uh if you get a chance to see a slasher movie in 4dx i highly recommend you take it anyhow please give it up for editor director filmmaker gregory plotkin here first of all congrats on hellfest thank can't you. wait to see it thank you and is i'm wondering is it partially inspired by those houses those horror walkthrough houses like blackout where you have to sign a waiver and then they absolutely did you see that documentary on netflix that was yeah. about them yeah yeah that was pretty insane it's great right yeah yeah it was really really cool yeah we um horror nights have become so popular for the last few years um so i've been going just separately of the film and loving them all mm-hmm. and then i got the um the call about the movie. And the great thing was I got to go do research around the country. Um, so I got to go to Netherworld and Atlanta and go to places in, in uh, New Orleans, all over the country. So you did a horror uh, house tour all yeah, over. which is great. Oh, God, that sounds like a fantasy road right? trip. And they paid me to do it. <laughs> so Whoa. it's great. Um, Talk about living the dream. I know, right? <laughs> and um, so we kind of – I had my own ideas about things I wanted to do in the, in the, in, in the mazes. And then we were able to kind of pick and choose some of the great ideas around the country that we saw. And actually, Netherworld in Atlanta, which is where we shot, mm-hmm. uh, Netherworld was in the process of switching to a different location. Okay. So I had gone through in October, um, loved it, enjoyed the whole the whole show. Um, and then because they were in transition, all their stuff was taken down. So I was able to go when we shot in, in January, February, 
and actually kind of pick and choose what I wanted from their sort of storage house oh, wow. for the film. Oh, so you got to take some of the stuff that they had already built for yeah, their house and yeah. then use it in the movie, oh, which was wow. great. Yeah, and they're, those guys, are, they're amazing over there. They, they've, they've got it all figured out. So yeah, I got great stuff. Oh, that's movie. super cool. Yeah. How fun is that? It's great. Were there any particular haunted houses or, or um, what do you even call them? They're not called haunted houses they're anymore. Just, just haunts or horror haunts. mazes. Yeah, horror right. Mazes. Yeah. Any particularly good, good ones that people should check out? They're definitely Netherworld. Uh, Netherworld is phenomenal there was and i'm the names are escaping me unfortunately but there's a couple of new orleans which were just amazing yeah but there was one that was underneath like a freeway overpass like i never would have found it on my own whoa and you go in and it's like it's mind-blowing just completely mind-blowing uh with pyrotechnics and like everything you could possibly imagine they go all out all out, really, all out. Really and cool. they and they all change their stories every year yeah. So they're really, I mean, it's its a whole culture. They're really smart about it. It's like a movie. They, mm-hmm. they write a script, they do the whole thing, and they change it every year. Right. Really cool. Yeah. So to get to the point where you're being paid to go around the country <laughs> to, to, to visit all these haunted attractions, could you give us a sense of how your career began? How did you find yourself into this world and this career? Yeah, I... Um, I started as a, which I recommend for everybody, as a production assistant. Hmm. Um, went to college, studied English, um, went to UCLA, um, came out as a production assistant. Um, always knew I wanted to work in film. My dream was always to direct. I loved mm-hmm. editing as well. Got into editing. Um, I was a PA on a movie called Weekend at Bernie's Part Two. Classic I saw film. It. <laughs> Classic film. <laughs> a zombie movie, an underrated That's zombie right, movie. Right? One of the first great zombie uh, underwater zombie movies. Um, the, um, uh, After zombie. <laughs> right. Full cheese zombie. That's right. Um, got into editorial from that. Uh-huh. Worked my way up. Um, and always been a horror fan my entire life. Uh, I think I told you I was born day before Halloween. Big uh, Halloween is actually one of my all-time favorite films. Um, loved horror. And then I got a call one day as I was kind of moving up about a movie called Paranormal Activity 2, and would I be interested in cutting it? Um, interviewed for it, um, sort of busted my ass to get the job, because I love the first one. And um, I got the second one uh, as the editor, and I got to the first day of shooting, and they had a two-page beat sheet. There was no mm-hmm. script. There was no nothing planned. There's a two-page beat sheet, Whoa. which they shot in about 24 hours. Um, the whole movie was shot in 24 hours? They pretty much shot that beat sheet out in like 20, like, 24 hours, I say it's, you know, 12 hour days, like two right, days, right. right? So, um, and then they just started shooting and they would, cause they had all the cameras up, the security cameras around the house. So they would just kind of shoot stuff. The director, Kip Williams would kind of come in and say, you know what? My kid got out of his, uh, uh, his crib last night. So I want to see the baby walk around the house and maybe we'll do something with it. But they had no idea what they were, what the end game was. So a lot of it was improv, a lot of improv. So I, um, they kind of just gave it to me and said, sorry. <laughs> What can you do with it as the editor? Um, <laughs> Make was, sense of this somehow. Yeah, and it was great. And I tend to watch a lot of my dailies MOS without sound um, just to kind of – I like to try to watch uh, actors' mannerisms and sort of see what they do. And I remember watching a sequence on Paranormal 2 where um, basically Kip was in the garage telling the actress, uh, our lead actress, go to the couch, mm-hmm. go to the kitchen, go to the closet. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Just do it. So every time he would tell her to do something, she would kind of pick her head up to listen. And then she'd walk over to wherever he wanted her to go. Um, so as I was watching without sound, um, it sort of struck me as every time she put her head up, she should be hearing a scary noise. Mm. So I ended up creating this whole sequence where she's every time she hears her head up, I put like a like a like a 
like a bottle drop or I put some change dropping or something. So she's hearing things around the house. And I was able to kind of jump cut and get her scared as if something is moving around the house. I had some footage of her going upstairs. Um, and then I went and asked uh, one of the um, people on set if they could shoot. There's a mobile uh, above the crib. Mm-hmm. If they could shoot it um, uh, moving. And because it was a locked off camera, I was able to comp it in so the mobile could move, stop and start whenever I wanted. Okay. So I did this whole sequence where I had to walk around the house thinking she's hearing something. Then she walks into the baby's room. When she, as soon as she turns her head, I start the mobile moving as if this demon is, mm. is, is around. And then she turns her head back towards it. I stopped it. Um, so I created a whole scene out of nothing that wasn't there. So, um, so you pretty much directed that movie by editing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of editorial influence. That's really cool. Um, which was great. So that I showed the studio and it's like, great, we now have a scene. We have some more scenes to do. So Did they give you anything to work with along the lines of, okay, these are poltergeists or these are demons that we're dealing with, or was it just, we knew it was demons. Of, okay. We, and we actually, our whole, you know, Orin made the first film, not having a whole, six sequels right. in, in mind. Um, so we kind of made it up as we went along, but we kind of went with the idea that the demon's in the house, the demon needs to scare you in order to gain power. And, mm. the, and the more scared you get, the more power it gets. And finally, at the end of the film, it's got enough power to do what it needs to do. Right. Um, so I kind of took that mentality and, and um, just sort of ratcheted up each scare as if the demon was getting a little bit more powerful, a little more powerful, a little okay. more powerful. So I kind of told myself that story as I was cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we started shooting in earnest probably July, August movie came out in October. Mm-hmm. So we had to bust ass. And um, we, uh, we, I think we were shooting our ending about two weeks before the movie came out. Wow. Yeah. And they, sh- <laughs> they shot, they shot s- 16 different endings. Um, and I had to cut 16 versions the night before uh, they shot it like on a Thursday. I had to cut them on Friday, showed them to the studio on Saturday. So I showed them all 16 versions. They didn't love them. And then I showed them, I cut one for myself, mm-hmm. um, the 17th. And I showed them that. And they said, great, that's that's the one. That's the one. And um, so from there, it just sort of skyrocketed. Uh, PA3 did super well. Uh, again, really involved with that. And uh, came on as producer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Paranormal 4 or 5. And then I got to direct 6. Um, and they had said to me, you know, they knew I wanted to direct. They enjoyed what I did. And so they offered it to me. And then, um, uh, and obviously working close with Jason Blum and, and had his support and um, um, just kind of worked my way up. And then took a little bit of a break, cut Get Out and uh, Happy Death Day, which both did well and mm-hmm. sort of peaked some, more inter- yeah, peaked some more interest. And um, um, here I am with Hellfest. I feel like there's really something to the idea of kind of making a lateral move when it comes to film and production. It's the idea of starting with something like editing. And then that gives you enough knowledge of the process and the people involved, particularly with a company like Blumhouse. You get to know everybody, how everybody works. It sounds like that really was helpful from a knowledge perspective and understanding the overall process of production and all of that. And that empowered you to then become a producer on the next few films. And then that eventually led to directing. As far as aspiring filmmakers are concerned, is that something that you, is that a move you'd recommend? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, again, Start as a PA. I learned so much as a PA. Um, I learned what everyone did on set so that I can walk on a set now and be completely comfortable knowing what everyone does. I don't feel like I'm going to step on this person's toes or that person's toes. Um, Plus, I have a lot of respect for what everyone does. I think, unfortunately, some people come out of film school. They've never worked on a set. They don't know. They get on set as a director, and they're all of a sudden barking at people, and they don't understand how hard everybody's working. Um, And I know exactly how hard everyone's working. Um, And the great thing is, because that's where I come from, I still feel that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not above getting someone coffee or 
you know, driving someone around, do whatever I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, cause for me, it's just fun. We're all making a movie. Right. Um, I'm not, you know, there's no ego. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. And learning editing for me was great because obviously I got to sense a sense of story, sense of pace, uh, a sense of the angles I like, a sense right. of how to build it all. Um, so I had a lot of confidence. We only had 23 days to shoot Hellfest and it was big because we were shooting outside in the park and then we had a little bit of uh, soundstage work. So I knew that I had to really maximize each and every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really wanted to make it feel big. Um, so I knew editorially what I'd wanted, which was great. So I was able to build it uh, kind of in my head before I shot it. Really, really. It sounds like editing helps you do that to an extent. 100%. Yeah, because it kind of gives you the mental framework of how to put a story together and how That's to right. tell it. So then when you go to, when it's time for production, you probably already have it all lined up in your head. I do. Yeah. And then some people will shoot a ton of stuff saying, I'll figure it out in post. And of course you do figure it out in post. <laughs> right. But I wasn't, I didn't have the luxury of saying, I'll shoot this four different ways and see whichever way works. I had to pick a lane and um, for better or worse, I was able to pick that lane. How is working within the Blumhouse system? It's great. Yeah. It's great. I, you know, Jason is so smart, um, keeps the movies at five or under, five million or under, mm-hmm. um, but basically says you have full autonomy to do what you want. Um, you know, obviously there's an approval process and everyone knows what movie they're making. And if it does well, you'll see the theaters. If it's not as successful uh, or doesn't fit the theatrical model, he's got a million different ways to show it, whether Netflix or HBO or whatever it is. But um, in some ways, horror is plays on our, our internal fears. So you don't have to go huge. You don't have to go with, it's the monster that you don't see, which is scarier than the monster you do see. Um, yeah. And I think he's realized that in a really smart way. And he's proven to everyone that you don't need a ton of money to make a really good film. I mean, I think Jordan, obviously, on Get Out, proved that oh, yeah. in a big way. Um, he made a really, really, really smart film. Um, and um, you know, Jason does a lot of high concept, low budget, films, which um, he's just smart. He's tapped into something that I think everybody knew, but everyone was scared to do. And he's a right. maverick and he decided why, why not just go with what the core is, tell a good story and, and go from there. So, yeah. And you can do it. Yeah. And I think people obviously draw the very obvious comparison to Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing now is that considering the amount of, uh, of actors and directors that Corman kind of birthed it's I mean, pretty amazing. It's a it's fun. In fact, Gail Ann Hurd, who yeah, she um, worked under Corman. She worked under Corman, right? Um, James, Cameron, James Cameron, and then they went off and did Terminator and a ton of other movies. But it sounds like Corman, and I think that this is very comparable to Blumhouse. It sounds like there were some Corman educated people in so many different ways, but also empowered them That's to right. go make their own films. That's and right. it sounds like Jason Blum is doing something very similar. And all these other like amazing directors are kind of being birthed out of Blumhouse because of the skills and empowerment that he's giving people. Is that accurate? It's 100% accurate. And it's not just directors. It's for me as an editor, yeah. uh, it's writers, uh, Chris Landon, who, um, who, uh, did happy death day. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the writers on paranormal two and three, um, um, Chris is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Again, he empowered Chris. Right. Now Chris is directing for him. Um, yeah, he just gives people, he, he's smart in that he hires, Jason is, is kind of fairly hands-off when it comes to the production. He's very supportive, but he's, he lets everyone do what they want to do. Right. And like I said, he empowers. He just lets you do your thing. And if you're smart and successful, then great. Um, but it's really nice because otherwise in the studio system, they'd nitpick every single thing you do. Right. Um, but yeah, he is definitely the modern Corman. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that in 20, 30 years are going to say, if it wasn't for Jason, I would never have 
been in these lofty uh, places. That's so cool. Yeah. And he's so, a good guy. Yeah, he seems like it too. I love watching his interviews. I just saw him, I think it was 60 Minutes. He did a special on smart horror mm-hmm. and this notion of horror being used as a vehicle for social commentary, yeah. which historically it has been. Like Night of the Living Dead. That's right. The original is is in a way about racism, xenophobia. 100%. Um, even Candyman to an extent. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously all the big monster movies were out of fear of the atomic age and stuff like that. It seems like now, and Get Out is obviously the most shining, shining example of this, horror is is being reutilized as a as a vehicle for social commentary. That's 100%. And it's and I've heard an interview with you previously about Get Out and when you guys had were filming it it sounds like not everybody was entirely aware of how powerful it was going to be and how relevant it was going to be and then when it came out it just it it hit everybody at a very critical time. Yes. I think originally it was conceived of around the uh, Trayvon Martin case. Yes, that's right. And then multiple other incidents started happening. And then it was a matter of this movie is more relevant than ever. Every week, unfortunately, there was some racially charged incident, whether somebody was killed or or beaten or um, just all these social injustices that were happening. And to the point that Jordan and I would talk, or I would say to Jordan, this movie has to come out this week. Like, it is so topical. Right. And the unfortunate thing is that those incidents continued and still continue to happen. Um, But yeah, Jordan hit something um, that was so topical, such in the zeitgeist. Um, and uh, the sad thing is it's still, the movie can come out today and resonate the same way. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's the way horror should be. Mm-hmm. It plays on social aspects. It plays on our internal fears that we all sort of developed as kids. Um, and smart horror, I think, resonates equally as much as any drama, as any comedy, as any, you know, $100 million, $200 million film that stars right. the top actors. So yeah. I love it. So what was it like working with Mr. Tony Todd? He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he's so cool. He's first of all, he's huge. Really? He's so tall. He's so tall, super imposing. I was really nervous because I I never I didn't meet him uh, okay. until we got onto set. So we it's the kind of thing we were we were thinking about the role, and I said, I want Tony Todd. Mm-hmm. And everyone said, You probably won't get Tony Todd. Um, so we uh, and I was already in Atlanta at the time, and I was already in prep. And I had a very short prep on the film. So I got a call, and this was actually once shooting started, we were it's one of those things I had to trust Gail and my other mm-hmm. producers to, to be working on it because uh, I couldn't – I had to be shooting. So I got a call that we got Tony. I said, great. Um, but because of uh, schedules and whatnot, I didn't have a chance to talk to him. So he shows up on set. And I had a whole backstory for what I wanted the character to be. Uh-huh. Um, he shows up on set, and he had the exact backstory in his head. Whoa. But even better because he's Tony Todd, and he's super smart, and it was amazing. <laughs> And uh, like I said, he's like six five. The same or six. story that you had conceived of. He had a very yeah. He had a very similar sort of backstory. But like I said, he had way more layers. And he started telling me, and I was like, yes, 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 yes. So cool. and it's not a huge role in the film, but it's always a role that I I had hoped would expand if we get the chance to make uh, sequels and so forth. Um, but anyway, he had this. this he has a, such a great sensibility. Just the nicest guy. Such a generous actor. Really good with all the other actors. And um, he's got that voice. Right, you know, that 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 gravelly, amazing voice. Be my victim. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and he um, and it was like five degrees out, and it was freezing and miserable, and then, you know, he can't wear the, the huge layers of clothes. But he was a trooper. He was great. Um, I cannot say enough good things about him. Plus, just as a movie fan and a Candyman fan and all that, like I, I was like, 
I, I literally would pinch myself be like, Tony Todd is, is in the movie right now. So. That's so cool. Yeah, I yeah. think one of the most intimidating things about him as Candyman was his stillness. Yeah. Like he wasn't maniacal in yeah. chasing people. There was the one scene when he crashed through the window in the hospital, but he had this just stillness. He's got a power to him because yeah. of that. Yeah. Similar to Cenobites and similar to like Doug, Doug Bradley as That's Pinhead. Right. That's right. There's something to that just staying completely still. It's that like is, a Hannibal Lecter as well. It's like exactly. yeah, you, they have an inner power. And um, you know, it's, the sad thing is, Tony is a phenomenal actor. He should be in every movie out there. Yeah. Um, and there's so many amazing actors that don't get their their sort of proper due. Um, and Tony is at the top of that list. He really? is phenomenal. And then we did we did some ADR for the film a while ago. And ADR is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Not every actor can do it very well. He gave me three different performances for every line we had to do um, to the point where I was like, you got to just do it one way because now you're making my <laughs> life way too hard because they were all amazing. He did it from right. super sinister to super kind of creepy and childlike. He's he's just his range is amazing. He's phenomenal. I cannot say enough. That's really cool. Yeah. He seems like one of those guys when you have him on set, obviously, whenever you're shooting, the kind of morale of the crew is super important and a couple yeah. of pieces of drama can throw everything into upheaval. He seems like somebody who, if you have them on set, they help the director in terms oh, of yeah. keeping everybody calm and motivated and happy. And they're kind of like an internal cheerleader. He seems like one of those kind of actors. Okay. Everyone was excited. Yeah. Because again, we all it all sort of trickled down like Tony Todd's in the movie, Tony Todd's in the movie. Right. And even the people that didn't know Tony by name, as soon as I saw his picture, they're like, Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every person on the crew was excited. Right. So yeah, he's... Uh, I, I love them. And now you guys are doing a partnership with Six Flags. Yeah. Exactly. So the whole entire haunt idea came really full circle. Yeah. We actually shot at Six Flags in, uh, we shot at their water park in uh, Marietta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> now they're doing a, um, uh, it actually opened last night, the Fright Fest. There's a Hellfest inspired maze. So cool. Um, so yeah, it was cool because we developed all these mazes for the, the the movie and they called and said they wanted to do it. So we got to kind of pick and choose the, um, you know, the mazes we liked, the, right. the, the sort of the rooms we liked the best. Um, and they rebuilt them and now people get to go and get scared. Super That's cool. super cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank when you. does it come out? September 28th. Okay. And yeah. it's, it's going to be in theaters and then VOD six months or so after. Or? Yeah. I think I just saw that, uh, around Christmas time, it'll be ready for DVD at least. I don't know VOD. I assume they're similar, but, um, yeah, we come out September 28th and, um, I'm super excited. Cool. Yeah. Is there any piece of advice you'd give to your 20-year-old self when you were just starting out in this business? Like any unexpected knowledge that you had to gain to kind of be a part of this system that you wish you had when you were younger? The biggest, I don't know that, uh, I would definitely say work really hard and don't say no to anything. Um, I think when I started out, horror wasn't as uh, popular as it is today. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, horror is sort of that, you know, sort of, stepchild that we don't want to talk about. Right. Um, and don't close the doors on, on things. And when I started, when I got paranormal activity, a lot of people said, yeah, it's great because it's in a studio and so forth, but it's a found footage movie. No one's going to care if you're cutting a found footage movie. Um, no one knows these people, uh, they're making it for low budget, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it is the single best gift I've ever gotten in my life to get that movie. It's skyrocketed my career and so forth. Um, so, don't look down on anything. The great thing about making movies is we get to make movies. Right. We get to tell stories um, and um, work really hard. Don't say no. And like I said, even if you go to film school and you think I should be directing, right? take a PA job, take anything. Um, I would go back to assisting if I could work. In fact, before I, I did, I, I, I cut a movie called um, Untraceable, mm-hmm. Diane Lane and um, um, 
At the same time, I was up for an assisting job to work on Benjamin Button. I'm a huge David Fincher fan. Oh, wow. And I had a huge dilemma. Do I cut a movie that I want to cut, or do I assist for David Fincher, who I'm like bonkers for? Um, and luckily, the editors of uh, Benjamin Button, who went on to win the, the, the Academy Award that year for that movie, they said, go cut. Don't, don't turn down the opportunity to cut. You've assisted a lot and so forth. Don't ever turn that down. As much as you love David and you want mm-hmm. to work with us. Um, but they were really supportive of me just being an editor and so forth. But um, put yourself in a position to have those, those kind of options. Really cool. So, and a lot of people hate this question. They hate to answer what is your favorite horror movie question. So I have a few kind of variations. Ha- Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween. That was easy. <laughs> My top five are Halloween, Exorcist, Shining, um, Alien, um that's four um oh god i know there's others but yeah halloween changed my life in a, in a huge way that's crazy that was mine yeah yeah i saw it when i was probably too young yeah and I it would... was my first introduction into like hard r slashers yes and i up until that point i'd seen stuff like gremlins and i loved monster squad mm-hmm. and even the original like famous monster movies i really really enjoyed. oh yeah i grew up on all the frankensteins and the yeah mm-hmm yeah. And then seeing Halloween, that was my first like hard R. Yes. And then that that made me realize, wow, this is what horror can do. Yeah. And then I think I watched all the sequels up until that point. It was maybe like, I don't know, nine or 10, like way too young to be seeing all these. I saw them all over the course of a week. I saw like five of them over the course of a weekend, binged them. <laughs> and then I, I was incapable of like going into a shower or <laughs> – Turning my back on anything. Right. Every time I looked out the window, I expected to see him standing yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. It just, it, it totally hit my senses in a hard way. But yeah, Halloween was always my favorite too. Halloween, hands down. As soon as Loomis comes in and says he's pure evil and he's like, I was hooked. I knew. And the, obviously the POV through the mask in the beginning just sucked me in. It was so smart. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it's funny. That still scares me. Exorcist still scares me. Shining still scares me. Um, and Pet Cemetery, the book is the scariest book I've ever read in my life. Really? Uh, and I read that, I think, at 13 years old, and to the point where I had to have every single light on. Like, I used to sleep. I used to like, read books in my in bed with my flashlight. Classic. And um, that was when I had to have all the lights on, no matter where I was. It freaked me out. Pet Cemetery. Uh, Pet Cemetery. Book. I'm going to yeah. check it out. I just saw Pet Cemetery 2 again for the fur after a long time. It's underrated. It's really not bad. Yeah, I haven't what seen it, it is. forever. It's a lot of fun. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it's I'm... unexpectedly like, yeah, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't say it's good, but it's enjoyable. <laughs> it's super enjoyable. I'll definitely watch it. <laughs> Do you have any favorite kind of undiscovered gem horror movies that you enjoy showing to people? Um, That's a good question. I don't, I think sadly, I don't know that I watch enough of the sort of the non-mainstream, if you will. Um, and I'm sure I'll leave here and I'll think, oh, there's four movies that I would say mm-hmm. 100%. But um, I kind of just love the genre. Um, I, I don't, God, nothing's coming to mind, but, um, um, oh God, nothing's coming to mind. Right All right. Now. So sorry. <laughs> but like, I just, I don't know. I love the genre. So I'm sure if you think of it, you can text it to me or whatever. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, so in, when it comes to health, let's start with Hellfest. When yeah. it comes to Hellfest, in retrospect, now that you've filmed the movie, shot, cut the movie, looking at it, what would you have spent more on and what would you have spent less on? Not necessarily money. It could be time, focus, energy, but seeing the finished product, what would you have spent more on and what would you have spent less on? I would have, um, th- I think the biggest thing for me, and I think it's there, but I want more of it is a little bit more just character. I love um um, I think, again, I think Chris did it so well and Jordan did it so well in my last two films, which were 
they built characters you loved and so forth. And it was very important that I had an ensemble cast. Mm. Um, so it was very, it was difficult to find time for every single character. Um, and I love the characters, so I'd love to spend more time with them. But um, for me, it was really important to pay homage to some of the films I grew up loving, the Friday the 13th and the Halloweens and the Freddies and the, the, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Streets. And um, I, I probably would have spent a little more time playing with the characters and maybe even pay more homage to some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard when you're trying to fit everything into the first movie right. and, and so forth. But, um, but I love the film. I'm really proud of it. Um, and uh, like I said, I just love I grew up on slasher films. Yeah. So for me, it was just a treat to, to, to finally get to make one. Cool. I mean, I think the character <clears throat> notion is a really important one for me. So I realized after a while, some of my favorite horror movies are movies where if you removed the horror element, the characters could still carry the movie. It'd Correct. still be a compelling plot. Correct. Like the, I was watching the fly the other day. Oh God. Yeah. The Gina Davis yeah. and the Goldblum one. Yeah. And you just love these characters. That's right. If you took the whole fly element out of it and it was just some kind of nerdy screwball nineties yes. science driven comedy, it would have been wonderful. That's exactly right. And it makes it so much worse for the audience. When you see these characters you love going through horrific ordeals. Well, if you love them, you're scared for them. Exactly. And that's exactly what you should do. And I, um, <clears throat> like I said, trying to fit everything in, trying to have set pieces, trying to make sure certain people are getting killed when they're supposed to get killed. It became, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a puzzle mm-hmm. you got to put together. So yeah, I would, um, definitely love to have more with them. Cool. So <clears throat> when it comes to directing and filmmaking, there's so many resources out there. There's all these how to books and courses. Were there any resources that were really formidable for you books or anything like that, that you would partially credit for for your success i would say just watching movies it's first of all yeah we all have a cell phone yep you can make a movie today when i grew up you couldn't make a movie you had to get a big camera and the whole thing we can people can make movies right now yeah um one thing that i tried to do as a kid was like i loved raiders of the lost ark Mm -hmm. just loved it and i tried to shoot a scene from the movie um, and, uh, I think it was the opening scene where he's, uh, where he's walking through the jungle and so forth. Um, cause I always found that that was such a strong scene and that there was no dialogue, but you knew exactly who Indiana Jones was. Right. And for me, it was a really enlightening to see, to actually start shooting it. And then you kind of get a sense of, oh, this is what it takes. You got to mm. make sure the actors are doing this because it, it looks so, so super easy on screen, but everyone has that resource of watch movies get a sense of the pacing, get a right. sense of the cut, get a sense of what you want. And then when, once I shot it, I kind of realized, oh, I may want to spend some more time here, not, you know, as, as opposed to what they did. Um, so for me, it was just watching, watching, watching. Yeah. And nothing to me, and again, I go back to the PA world of nothing is better than physical experience. You can read all you want. You can take all your sorts of classes, um, but nothing beats hands-on doing it. Cool. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was a real pleasure, man. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Of course, of course. I'm looking forward to Hellfest. Thank you. (laughs) I hope you you enjoy it. All right. So let's take a minute to talk about some of the larger pieces of advice that Greg had mentioned throughout the course of this interview. So number one, Greg's experience as a PA – a production assistant was something that he claims was so educational to him. He, cl- he would easily go back to doing it if he could find the time. So being a PA is really, really important for any filmmaking career. Eli Roth also cites how important and effective it is for aspiring filmmakers, because what it does is it gives you a sense of how other directors operate. And you also learn the pace of the set. And it's Greg mentioned It gives you a very thorough understanding of what everybody on a film crew does. 
And in Greg's case, this enabled him to confidently navigate every set that he was on and effectively collaborate and communicate with every crew member when he was directing movies. So this is critical because your movie is so, so dependent on your crew. They're everything. So keeping them happy, keeping them motivated is entirely the name of the game. So with his PA experience, Greg had a thorough understanding of what everybody does. He always knew how hard people were working, and it just enabled him to communicate with them better. So being a PA was priceless for Greg. Number two, say yes to everything. When Greg edited Paranormal Activity 2 for Blumhouse, his friends were frowning on the project, and they claimed that the budget was too low to be taken seriously and that nobody really cares about found footage anymore. He obviously ignored them, and today he cites the opportunity as one of the greatest gifts of his entire career, mostly because it paved the way for larger projects and ultimately a career in directing. Greg was given 16 different endings to cut for Paranormal Activity 2, but as we know, he cut 17, 17th being his own idea. And lo and behold, it was his ending that was chosen. So on Paranormal Activity 2, Greg demonstrated his reliability, his talent, and his inventiveness. These are all qualities that producers seek in directors. He then obviously went on to edit huge movies like Happy Death Day and Get Out and then direct Hellfest. So he pretty much was able to write his ticket entirely on what a great job he did as an editor. Number three, find strategic opportunities to up your production value. When Greg was filming Hellfest, his favorite haunted attraction, Netherworld, was switching locations and they put their entire setup in storage. Greg struck a deal with them to use their props and mazes and sets in Hellfest. So what this did was it let him inexpensively fill his movie with these very elaborate and authentic set pieces without having to build them from scratch. Always be on the lookout for inexpensive opportunities to enhance the scale and production value of your own projects. Roger Corman was famous for doing things similarly. He would frequently film movies on other people's sets after other people's movies had wrapped. He would go to their set. In some cases, I be believe he would write scripts based on the sets that he had access to. Pre-existing sets, he would just hijack them, get on there, and he would film his movies on them. Similarly, Ed Wood would do kind of shadier but similar things. He would literally steal big props from, well, steal might not be the right word, perhaps borrow. He would borrow large props from the, uh, it must have been the Universal lot, and he would use them in his own movies. It's a business of begging, borrowing, and stealing. So whatever it's going to take to get your production value up, not saying do anything illegal, but it's a hustle. Anyway, Hope you enjoyed this interview. I really enjoyed talking to Greg. He's a very passionate and cool guy. And uh, yeah, go see Hellfest. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. If you're enjoying this, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts online. And if you really want to do me a solid, feel free to share this episode with your friends on social media. You can follow the show on the Instagrams at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R. Same handle on Twitter. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, send me a message and let me know. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. We scare because we care. Thank you.